Hi everyone, Aaron Alito here, and I've got another great roundtable discussion for you. I really enjoyed this one. Uh, we get into four poems from our most recent issue released in September. I find that having these conversations really allows the poems to open up and reveal their multiple layers of meaning. There's always some new twists and turns that I discover during our conversations, and I probably wouldn't have got there without this kind of a group reading, so I'm fortunate to have such insightful guests, uh, especially this time around. Joining me and Chris are two previous contributors to Wild Roof Journal. There is Kelly Gray, whose poem The Everlasting Eulogy of Lush appears in issue 8, and Haley Stoddard, who has a poem called Lilacs in issue 9. Both of these selections are linked on the podcast page also. So first up in our conversation, we talk about Kendra McDonald's poem, Tropical Depression. Next up is The Limits of Augury by Laura Schaefer, and then Centurion Me by Daniel Edward Moore. We finish things up with Nancy White's poem called The Helpful Poem. And each of these selections appear on the podcast page, which is wildroofjournal.com slash podcast. I really recommend giving these poems a close reading, and I hope you enjoy hearing our interpretations of them. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. So it looks like we're uh, ready to get rolling. So I'm here with Chris as usual. And two guests, former contributors, as it turns out, in previous issues. Uh, Kelly Gray, who was featured in issue eight with the poem, The Everlasting Eulogy of Lush. And actually, Kelly, I think you're a first in the sense that you're, you contributed a poem to the issue, issue eight. We talked about your poem on a previous roundtable. And now you're a guest on the round table. So nobody else has done those three things together. So I don't know if that's, I don't know what that says exactly, but that's uh, a first. You've so come to full 360. That's yeah, so it's like. And the whole cycle. Yeah. Well, thanks for being here. And Helly Stoddard, uh, who's featured in issue nine with the poem Lilacs. So I'll link both of those poems in, in my uh, description for uh, for this episode. But yeah, you could sit, kind of do a quick intro, um, a little bit about who you are, why you're here, if you have anything out there that you might want people to click on, anything like that. Kelly, anything for you? Uh, sure. I'll just say that I am a writer out of Northern California. I uh, primarily write poetry and short fiction and flash. And I'm just such a fan of what you guys do. And I'm really loving this issue and feel like it's held together with this overarching theme of autumn. So I'm super excited to dive in to that. Um, and I do have a website. It's writekgray.com. Uh, and you can check out my books and selected work there. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I'll put the link in uh, as well to your website. Um, Haley. Hi. Um, yes, I'm a huge poetry nerd basically I've been writing poetry oh gosh I think since the second or third grade we don't show those ones though because they're terrible um <laughs> you know there's obviously a learning curve when it comes to writing and um I I mostly write poetry I write some short fiction um I have you know been published in a decent handful of sort of online websites and things and I also am just a huge fan of of Wild Roof Journal and just even being able to go through the process of reading submissions, I feel like has helped me so much in terms of what I submit to other places, because that's obviously a continuous process. We're always trying to get better in, in how we submit and how we tailor things to publications. Um, and also, I mean, just the the best the best way to Im improve your own writing is to do some editing. I feel like there's, there's really no better way to be able to spot things. Um, 
there's I don't have a website. Um, I am working on a, I'm I'm in the final stages of a manuscript that I'm looking forward to publishing very soon. Um, but I am on Twitter. If anyone wants to find me there, it's just uh, hjstoddard09. <laughs> yeah, nice. So yeah, I think um, editing improves your writing, or even just talking about writing. That's uh, mm -hmm. that's that's the angle we like to take here. Just yeah. talking about it kind of gets lets it seep in a little bit. I think just a kind of an interesting thing to see other people submitting or other people's submissions and just you know just kind of seeing that the, the, the wider scale of things I think that helps too um, and we do have a we have a reader question for later on just to highlight that which kind of uh, is a little bit on submitting so yeah uh, what do you want to start with first maybe that tropical depression poem I guess you, you, uh, Kelly that was one of your selections you mentioned there is kind of an overarching theme, uh, seasonal theme in the issue. So that one, just based on the title, uh, we're yeah. in that time of year. So uh, maybe we'll start there. Uh, the poet is Kendra McDonald. Title of the poem is Tropical Depression. Um, actually, if you wouldn't mind, if, if you're able to read it uh, first and then get into it, if you're able to do that. Yeah, I would, I would love to read it. Okay, awesome. Tropical Depression. Today, on a stepladder in the dirt, I washed windows. The last step in the cleaning and clearing of a well-lived home. The hurricane creeps up the shore. Humidity clings like spider webs. Wasps fall with my rags to the ground. Inside, my mom removes the screens, works the puzzle of these ancient windows. We are nose to nose through glass. We spray and wipe circles in unison, the ashes in a box, the boxes on a truck, the windows gleam, we walk away. Yeah, I really loved this poem. I think the first thing that really struck me is how it's a shorter poem the language is really simple, but when you start to really let it sink in, it's quite complex and it's fitting many stories into a compact little space. And I really love that. It, it starts by anchoring you with the narrator's point of view. And I really felt, I was like, okay, I'm on a stepladder, there's dirt, I'm washing, I'm cleaning. And then... Kendra does this really great job of introducing what's going on inside and in her peripheral world to create this landscape. And, you know, there's the introduction of obviously someone has died, it's someone she's close to, and then you see her working with her mother and it becomes clear that there's actually a triangle here and that the missing person is her, I presume, is her father. And I just was really struck for it really made me question you know, why do I love this poem so much what do I love about poetry and one of the reasons that I love poetry is that when we are being crafty we can avoid using any descriptives for emotions and just by the placement of people bring up so much and not just people but I really felt like the storm was one of the characters as well Although also maybe compete, I was like, is the storm a character in of itself, or is it really just her grief coming in and holding on and not letting go, like the, the spider webs that she's trying to move away and move through this, this cycle of grief? Um, yeah, so I just thought it was it was really lovely. Some of I'm just looking at my notes because I took all these notes on it. Uh, some of the places that I found this tension that that had me asking questions was between her and her mom being face to face mirroring this grief process, which I would presume is very different for each of them. And they're doing the same work and then it's done and they just walk away. And that almost abrupt feeling of the poem for me was really reflective of those places when I've lost someone or I'm in that that place of grief where you're just putting one foot in front of the other and the world is just kind of carrying on or not carrying on and you're just doing what you're doing. And I really felt that in the ending of the poem. 
Yeah. So I was very impressed with it. I'm super curious what you guys thought about it and how it sat with you. I always, yeah, I always love hearing like the initial uh, description because, you know, it's one of those things I, it's there, it's kind of right in front of you. But when you said like, there's no outside of the title, maybe in the actual poem itself, it's describing such an emotional scene that's kind of just like, it's there with you, but the language isn't emotional. And that's Mm -hmm. even the the title is, but it's a, you know, the the double meaning. And that, yeah, that just was an interesting thing that just kind of clicked as I was looking at it is that the language is kind of so matter of fact. I think that's one of the things that drew me into it was the the simplicity of the language on the surface. Um, But then obviously you get the depth um, of the, of the scene and of the characters lives. So that was just, I like that interplay. Yeah. And I should say that, um, the last, you know, her line breakage is really interesting. And so the last three lines are spray and white circles in unison, the ashes in a box, the boxes on a truck, the windows gleam, we walk away. There's a beautiful, uh, repetition that happens within these like short abrupt sentences that is also an abrupt ending that is also possibly reflective of an abrupt death and just needing to get done with it and again just to like really emphasize this is very simple language that's telling a very complicated story and I think that's really hard to do in a small space like this yeah, I I agree, especially that last, what's interesting is that those last few phrases, it would be very easy to end the line where the period is, but she doesn't do that. She she breaks it up and, and, and puts the end of the sentence in the middle of the line, which also, it's an interesting thing because almost the way that she's cleaning, it moves you through it. You can't stop at the end of a line. You can't stop at the end of a phrase. You are conti- like you're because you are you've already started the next one. You're pushed into the next thing, which sort of goes along with your comment of when something horrible and and heart wrenching has happened, in in the most awful and practical way, you have to just keep going. You you're not actually really allowed to stop and and take that that moment of grief. I also this one was very interesting because the title is Tropical Depression, right? And there's not really anywhere in this poem that suggests that you're in a tropical location, except for perhaps the line, the hurricane creeps up the shore. And that just adds a really interesting duality to this piece, because normally when your lay person thinks of tropics, we think of vacations, we think of beaches, you know, we think of, you know, sitting on, sitting on the beach with a book and a drink and passing an afternoon away and just, you know, having a lovely time. But obviously this is very, morbid a death happened obviously there's the 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 sort of foreboding sense that a hurricane is continuing to creep up the shore which means even though this has happened they're not completely out of danger there's still worries that they have um and that definitely adds to you know it's 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 a death in a very beautiful place that brings a different perspective to something we normally sort of have thought about very clearly and in one way and i just think that's really interesting I was going to say that uh, I agree with everything, absolutely. And this, of all the poems I read, this was my favorite second read, where I, I read it one time through, and I got uh, what I would call the chores as a religious experience genre, uh, kind of a wax on, wax off. You're in a meditative, uh, like you said, step by step, one foot in front of the other. You deal with grief by going through the motions and doing the chores of life and maybe kind of gleaming some meaning through that. I said, okay, I like that. That's that resonates with me and I I tend to get obsessed with the I call it poem physics so I, I also would zoom in on something like uh, the wasps falling why are the wasps falling is it the cleaning agent that's killing the wasp because that that line in particular f- for some reason kind of hit me wasps fall with my rags to the ground I don't know why but that one cut through the radar second time through though I, I got much more of that big picture gestalt and I was I wasn't able to or I wasn't nitpicking the poem physics as much, and I wasn't worried about if this felt like uh, a familiar chores as religious experience. I got uh, a, a kind of a much cleaner, as it were, uh, sense of the piece. And I love that uh, Kelly used I think the phrase uh, crafty. I, I 
I have an allergy to cleverness, even though I do it way too much in my poetry. And the simplicity of the language has this cumulative uh, sledgehammer effect. And the second time through, it, it hit me in a totally next level. I really like that you went micro on the line, wasps fall with my rags to the ground, because I was thinking about that line too, and why it felt so powerful to me, because it seems very simple, but I think it was echoing what I was picking up in the rest of the poem was there's so many rags, there's so many wasps, every, like they're just doing all this work, trying to get through it. And yeah, that idea of the, the tropics being this beautiful place uh, where we go to vacation now, I'm really reading it in this different way. Like this is someone maybe who was in my mind, like had traveled across country to go to Florida to clean up, you know, her parents' home after one of them died and help move the mom somewhere else. I mean, I'm reading into it and creating my own story with it. Um, but that there is an exhaustion that comes with that. And I felt that in the wasps and the rags. For sure. Like cleaning out a place like that would be exhausting, especially because it says a well-lived-in home, right, which suggests that this has happened suddenly. It wasn't something that anyone had prepared for. It wasn't something that people had been moving things out already, right? This is coming into a house where someone had been living in just the day before. To me, the wasps also are sort of another, like, death symbolism, because when I think of wasps, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, not only are they like scary and stingy bugs, but like they're, they're vivacious, they're full of life, right? That's that bee energy where they're always constantly doing things. And it's a strange image, like, like Chris was saying, to see wasps just, just like falling to the ground. That's like obviously a very, I mean, to me, that's just another indicator that like perhaps the person who is now experiencing death is sort of seeing death in all of these little things and that was a, another powerful image for me. Yeah, there, there's a lot there. And I. it's funny that you, you centered on, on that one. It's in the middle of the poem for one thing, but the line right before it was just kind of a curious one because it gets, it kind of like takes a sidestep almost than what, from what you'd expect. So it's uh, humidity clings like spider webs. And then the line walls fall like uh, with my rags to the ground. So you get the spider webs, but that's not, you know, it's, it's the humidity that's compared to spider webs. But then you'd get the insect reference anyway. So it just it's just got an interesting little sidestep, I guess. I don't know. It's just reference. curious. A cleaning reference as well, because I'm imagining her like cleaning <laughs> off the cobwebs. Yeah, you could only you can't almost help but like have that imagery in your head, like you're cleaning off the spider webs, but yeah. and then the puzzle. I mean, that's kind of the the word puzzles used, and I feel like that just kind of ties the whole thing together in terms of the characters and their kind of their task, you know, the larger task, not the task of cleaning the house, that's difficult enough, but the um, the interactions and obviously then there's the missing piece of the puzzle, you know, that the, presumably the father who died, which is not referenced directly, but there's that whole dynamic, which not explained, not referenced at all. We don't even know if it's a father for sure. We just are left guessing about it, which is, uh, as a reader, kind of what you want. Uh, you want a little bit of that uh, experience as a reader, I think. So, yeah, kind of nicely done. Does anybody uh, remember a poem by, I think it's W.S. Merwin, called A Single Autumn? I know. I, mm -hmm. I remember that one. If, if not, if, <laughs> if you're looking for a poem about uh, grief and cleaning out the house, and I think there's a lot of poems like that, but after the parents die and then you're going through all the things and the pictures and the heirlooms, I mean, that's kind of a natural, that's a poem that basically makes itself happen. I just had to move my dad out of his house this year because he can't do stairs. And in my head, I'm like, oh, this is like a dress rehearsal. And it is the definitive poem in that genre. But I think this one's competitive because W.S. Merwin's is, is lovely. It's luscious, but it's about three times as long. And I feel like she gets at least as much done as him or maybe more in one third the space. Yeah, and there's a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a playfulness in that poem, um, the W.S. Merwin one, there's a little bit of a- The, the, like the W.S. Merwin one has the killer last line. It's like a, it's a, just a sledgehammer final line of he's looking around, the house is totally different, it's empty, all the memories have been wiped out and scrubbed clean. And he says, I could do anything. 
And he's like, right. oh, shit. that sounds like a little optimistic spin. Like uh, yeah. there was also some weight as well as the other stuff that was right. removed and cleaned as the house was uh, gone through and sorted. That's what I wanted to say about this one was because that reminded me because, yeah, that one has a that little bit of hopefulness, playfulness, something like that. This one's pretty bleak, yeah. um, actually, and especially the ending. Um, and uh, what I loved about the imagery, and uh, Chris, you, I'm sure you remember the last uh, one of these we did, the poem Glass. We talked about that one quite a bit. And that was a little bit of a different thing, but the, the imagery was similar. There was an outside and was it birds trying to get inside and uh, the character inside, you know, there's a butterfly trying to get outside. Uh, but just the imagery of the glass separating these two spaces, inside and outside, was at play. And then here we are with with the the mother and uh, the, the narrator, opposite sides of the glass. So we kind of get that same dualism. Like there's a, just the inside and outside surface level. Obviously, but... she deliberately avoided the word mirror because it's a mirror, but it's not a mirror. And she, uh, she I think, sense that might have been a little too clever, a little too on the nose. So instead, she says nose to nose. And so it's a little stronger, yeah. I think, because she doesn't say we were mirroring each other's uh, wiping it down. But I didn't know much. And yeah, you get that kind of the, just the imagery of it. Two people on this on different sides of the mirror, one inside, one outside. And is this like a, you know, a, a separation of you know existence and not, where maybe, I guess you, you could spin it like you know it's continuous. So it's a raindrop in the ocean kind of a metaphor and this one i kind of just got lumped there's one side you're here there's the other side you're not here um so i don't know if it's kind of pushing it too far but the the ending just kind of gave me that bleakness of it where then when i did go back to it read, read it the second time a mirror imagery kind of struck me as a little more definitive like there's you know <laughs> there's being alive and then there's not it's not one continuous like you know however you want to imagine the afterlife. I think mm -hmm. I also want to just add to that in thinking about the storm as, as grief and the storm is kind of making its way up the shore. My experience of death is usually I'm in shock for a couple of days and what's re and that's like when you get all your work done with it, right? You're, you go and you clean up the house and you make the arrangements and you're just kind of doing what we have this, you know, very simple, seemingly simple description of, but we know the storm is coming and the storm is going to last longer and have this much likely more long drawn out recovery period. And there's that tension of the storm on the outside and them working the narrator working on the inside that I thought was really interesting and where the mom was and where she is. And then that they just like bounce. And I don't know if they're walking into the storm, if the storm will reach them or not. Do they live there? You know, these are all questions that are coming up. They're unanswerable for us as readers, but it was nice to have those questions. Yeah. Well, and I, I also think the last line, the windows gleam, we walk away. Um, like you were saying, there's not necessarily a, it's very bleak, but it reminds me of, um, it's like you just did a huge job, you're exhausted and you're glad that it's done, but you're not actually emotionally satisfied that the fact that the job's finished. It was just like something you had to do, you got it done, you're finished. You don't actually necessarily feel better now, but you're glad that it's, you're glad that you did the thing you had to do. And that's also an interesting just the bleakness of that of that's an interesting way to discuss grief as well because she's not necessarily saying okay my heart has now been healed you know now i feel the storm breaking and and the sun coming out i'm now i'm feeling now that i've cleaned the house that my heart has you know had time to drop the grief none of that is just saying like okay i did it okay i'm gonna walk away now and that's that's as much satisfaction as you get which i think very much mirrors real life yeah for sure I also wonder, I'm, I was not familiar with this poet before I read, you know, I read her bio and looked at her website and I was like, like really liking what she was putting out into the universe with her other writings as well. So I, but I do not know her work well enough to say if this exists or doesn't exist, but I'm curious if she has more writing on this death. And if we would see 
it evolve into a more personal narrative or like start to tell us a little bit more about what's happening in other poems or, you know, other pieces of writing on this. I always think that's interesting. Like if she came back to write this moment in a year versus five years, what would we be looking at at that time? I really would love to, I mean, and maybe if she's listening, she could shoot me an email, but I would love to know what, when did she write this? Was it within a month of this event happening? Was it three years after 10? Yeah. And that's a good point too. Cause sometimes at least I forget that there, you know, a poem that just in the practical sense we accept and we include in one of those issues is a part of a larger context of that writer's work. So, you know, we take the one poem, here it is, put it in there and we kind of kind of bracket it in that thought process. But yeah, absolutely. I think that clearly this is probably, probably safe to say it's part of a theme that would continue in some of our other work. So let's walk away from this poem and walk into the next one. Um, uh, Haley. That's a smooth segue. That's <laughs> the first, first, time, first, time, first time for everything. Um, Laura Schaefer is the poet. Haley, you selected this one. This for just the feeling of it seems to go into this one, so I'll pick that one next. Uh, poet Laura Schaefer, The Limits of Augury. Um, so, yeah, if you wouldn't mind reading this one, another short one. Yeah, pretty, absolutely. Pretty simple language on the surface with kind of similar setup. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're ready. Sure. The Limits of Augury. They belong to something large, I thought. The bones. Amid shell hunks of a creature sawn clean and now with the weft exposed. I imagined approximate pebbles of myself washing up like this, portending as microbes perused the parallax slow vault of an archway, themselves and the tide bearing witness to all the cathedral things we miss in our marrow. Yeah, this poem, um, I, I read this one several times. This was one that I, had read because I had read through the issue and then I like went back to look for this one specifically I was like what this I was you know it just it it stuck in my brain once again this is a very short poem but so much so much is said here one of the first things that I sort of came back with was was in the last two lines witness to all the cathedral things we miss in our marrow and I thought about that for ages, cathedral things, because that's not a normal descriptor of how you would describe a body. That's not a normal descriptor of even how you would describe a feeling. But to me, that was both that was both sort of holy and scientific. If you think about DNA structure, if you think about bone structure, if you think of atom structure, it's it's very much um, architectural in a way, similar to how a cathedral is, you know, there's lines, there, there are things that need to be there in order for the building of your body to, to be supported. But also cathedral very much has spiritual, religious, holy connotations and thinking, okay, there's, there's things to your body, there's things in your blood, there's things in your marrow that are beautiful and stunning and absolutely breathtaking that you probably miss that you wouldn't even know about until perhaps a piece of you washed up on a shore, you know, a hundred years from now, and someone else was looking at the bone structure in the marrow and thinking, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. This is an amazing discovery, etc." And that's such an interesting, that's just such an interesting thought. I also looked up the word weft. So this is in the first stanza, the bones, so it says sawn clean, and now with the weft exposed. I didn't know what that was. That is in reference to weaving. That's in reference to a loom. So the structure of a loom, when you're like putting together, you know, a piece of cloth, um, that's the strings that you're putting on top of the wooden pieces. And that was just really interesting that obviously a lot of the, this is not the beautiful part. This is the structural part. This is the underbelly of what this creature was, right? These are the very essential parts of it. Um, you know, if you think about like, I'm, I'm, I don't do a loom, but I have done a, like a tiny bit of stitching where it's like the front of it is very beautiful, but if you turn it around, it's huge mess, right? And so it's sort of like taking off the surface and you're looking at what the absolute, you're looking at what the absolute bare essentials are. And um, yeah, thinking about, you see a bone washed up on the shore and then you're imagining a piece of yourself 
and and then what that would say about you if someone else only had a piece that had none of your pretension none of your good attitudes none of your good moods it was just a piece of your you know I don't know a bone a piece of your soul maybe um and and what they would think so yeah this was one I I I kept coming back to I also looked up left and I was glad I did I love the I love the sound of the word I was already sold on it before looking it up and then I was like yeah okay and you know in thinking of the title the limits of augury you know being able to to tell the future through bird flight my my guess was that this was a bird who had died at sea and had washed up on the ocean and she's kind of examining this bottle and or this body and um thinking of her own death and life um and I'm a poet. I'm, you know, contractually obligated to love poets writing about their own death, <laughs> <laughs> um, as well as merging the spirit and science, which just like you said, I think she did a really, really lovely job of that. Oh, and back to the weft. I, in my mind, I imagine that this was the the underside of a wing and maybe the bone was exposed and you can see where right. the, where the feather the feathers are inserted into the bone and held in place and that it, you know, creates this kind of woven texture. Yeah. There is such interesting language in the, in this poem. So we, you know, weft is one example, the, the cathedral things as an adjective, cathedrals, interesting, just the augury in the title is one I, I looked that one up just to, to make sure I got the right idea. So it was interesting in itself that the two definitions of augury, uh, divination from auspices or omens, and the secondary definition was just simply omen or portents, and she used the word portending uh, in, in the poem as well. So just taking the, the idea of the omen, if we take the discovery of this object on the beach, I'm assuming, right, um, as an omen, it kind of again goes back to that issue theme of the impending um autumn and of course what comes after that so it just kind of gets it gave me the feel just on the emotive level of like there's something coming beyond the you know the this experience is not just this experience but it is indication of something more um even if it's just maybe on the seasonal level on the personal level there's a lot of layers possible i think in this one yeah, well, and similar to what you were saying, to go back to the title, augury means omens, right? And to me, that means mystery. And it's, I mean, another another way you could read this title is the limits of mystery, right? Yeah. And so it's like if you're looking at a if you're looking at a bone on a beach, kind of like there's both mystery and there isn't. Like you're wondering about you know death, but then also like okay, there's very much a literal creature who died, and then now the carcass is here, and that's you know kind of the end of it. Um, and so I think that's just an interesting way to think about it because it's almost like the beginning and the limits of mystery when it comes to a piece of yourself that would be washed up somewhere. So that's right. really I'm glad, yeah, I'm glad you went there because that was just my, my first impulse is to like connect it with this like feeling of like, here's what's coming. There's a sign of what's coming and it's not good. But of course, then it's the limits of that. It's the limits of that, that sign as an omen. There's just that kind of layering of, is, is it an omen, which is a sign of something right. dangerous? or Is this an omen or is this just a dead bird? Just, yeah, is it just, <laughs> just a dead bird on the beach? Yeah. So that's that's a, just a great title in itself. So that's the importance of a good title. Uh, yeah, Chris, I think you're going to say something. Oh, yeah, as a, as a fan of uh, incorrect readings, uh, my, my first run through, I made two fatal errors. Um, I, I read the title and I was sent astray because I, I read the limits of augury. And in my head, I, I heard auger, A-U-G-E-R, which is a digging tool. It's supposed to pull things up. So then when we get to bones and we get to uh, the structure of, of DNA and, and marrow, I'm thinking fossils. I'm thinking digging up the past. And, and, and so then I get to portending as microbes. And I didn't know this until I actually heard it read out loud. My dyslexia pronounced that as microbes pursued the parallax slow bolt and the archway. And of course, if it's perused, that sends me in a completely different direction, much much uh, less active. I was imagining the microbes 
as a life force that are chasing and decaying and rapidly bringing up the weft. And as soon as something dies, the microbes are in pursuit to bring that thing back into the ground to be dug up again. And uh, now hearing what I assume to be a much more accurate uh, reading, I, I still have the same basic feeling. So even my incorrect analysis of the poem, I think got me to kind of that right headspace. Yeah, but that's the great thing about that, that language though, because the, the auger, I even, as I was almost expecting to get that definition that you were suggesting in, you know, when I looked it up, it's a spell different. It's, it's a different word. Back. Yeah. So I, I was kind of anticipating it, but it's, yeah, it's a differently spelled word, different word altogether, but you get the sound of it. So it, like it's there. Um, it's, you know, you can't really totally eliminate that layer of it, I don't think. And the same thing with like kind of all, the, all of the pieces that you, you looked at have a kind of a religious or spiritual component, uh, more so than mm -hmm. other times we've uh, combined these. And so once I started looking for that, I was like, ah, yes, fortune telling, yeah. Sue's saying that made a very clean connection to the sanctuary and me, uh, which I'd be a little curious to talk about if we have time, but if not, that's fine. Want to go there? Let's go there. Um, any? Did we have any final thoughts? I didn't want to like end this one too abruptly, but I think I think stunning. I said everything I had on it. Absolutely stunning language. Beautifully done. That was Laura Schaefer. So. Uh, Good job there. Uh, but yeah, that's just since we mentioned it. Uh, Daniel Edwards Moore, uh, Centurion Me. Uh, this was Haley's selection. And then we'll finish up with uh, Kelly's final one. Um, so yeah, we could do the same thing if you want to read it. It's another fairly short piece. Sure. So this one, yeah, you've already said the title, Centurion Me. If driving a spike beneath the shadow of a branch reminds you of the worst thing you've done in the history of shadows and branches, like an animal praying to the burial god, it's doubtful forgiveness will flower and seed the yard with redemption's red cape. Not at this point in your life or day, whichever has caused you the greatest grief, kissing the ground with a hammer's lips. Like all animals who call themselves men before giving up the ghost, midday in a pool of sweat and clover, you'll find the time to pound the earth's vein with another delicious nail. Centurion me, centurion. Um, <laughs> so once again, this one I was caught, I mean, this one I, I read also several times and similar to the last piece they're using centurion as uh, is it centurion or centurion i'm not sure how to say that correctly um one of the two but use it as a verb and it's that's not a normal verb and that leads you to question okay what exactly are you wanting this person to do like like what's that office and you know in and also looking it up uh you know centurion is a roman soldier this is also the centurions if i'm correct were the ones that were in charge of nailing Christ to the cross like that was sort of their like they were the Roman soldiers specifically who did that because there was a little bit of that imagery in here you know redemptions red cape driving a spike um and so there was very much some some religious imagery in here it was just fascinating especially the first part if driving a spike beneath the shadow of a branch reminds you of the worst thing you've done in the history of shadows and branches that's just that's just a great line and leads to more thought and it's like well what do you mean and then it's like wait hang on is this is this the soldier that nailed christ to the cross and is that the worst thing he's ever done and so now every time he has to do some sort of manual labor that requires a similar action that's bringing it up in his mind um or is this you know is this someone else who not necessarily has has done the awful thing but they said like an animal praying to the burial god wanting forgiveness, not able to get it, thinking of the worst thing that they've ever done and thinking that forgiveness is a long way off. Yeah. And then also the the image kissing the ground with a hammer's lips. I had to think through that one. I was like, does that you're just hammering the ground? Are you hammering? Are you you know, that's still one that is sort of a, like a little bit of a head scratcher, but that's just a very obviously 
that's very different imagery of, of kissing, which is something that's very gentle and a hammer, like you're hammering the ground. Yeah. And then giving up the ghost in a pool of sweat and clover. That's an interesting one because clover is usually an herb that's used to heal things. That's, you know, and, and back in the days, I think it was used as an antiseptic. Like that was something not only that people would smoke, but was like an antibacterial, you know, thing. You'll find the time to pound the earth's vein with another delicious nail. Like this one sort of sends me in circles, but it's in a way that I like. Like there's so many, there's so much imagery and there's so much to think about that I, you know, this one's just so good. And then centurion me as a verb. So are you asking someone to, like, well, that sounds sexual. Are you asking someone to hammer you, but like, or, or drive a stake into your arm? Or, you know, are you asking someone to maybe subdue, subdue you in some way? But that's just, I don't know. There's, there's, I feel like there's so many layers of meanings in here that it's hard to pick just one because it leads to as many questions as it does answers, but that's kind of why I like it. Yeah, I, I found this one kind of, you know, definitely interesting and engaging, but there is that difficulty layer, you know, like it's a little bit difficult to really pin down, but like, yeah. yes, it's kind of difficult just to like put a, uh, put a really clear reading on it. But yeah, you're right. Some of the just the, the language and the, the imagery is just interesting to get into. It's and very evocative, you know, like it elicits an emotional response. I love that word, yeah. <laughs> and, it elicits a response. Yeah, and just that first the first stanza, you know, you're kind of waiting when you're reading a lot of poems and stuff like that, you're kind of just waiting for that little hook, just that something interesting and just that repetition. It, not you know it's not flashy or anything but just the repetition of like the, sh the shadow of a branch just reminds you of the worst thing you've done in the history of shadows and branches for whatever reason i don't know if it's like on a technical level or just that repetition it was just an interesting enough way to phrase it and that repetition was engaging for me so then i i kind of had a positive reading of this poem just from the first stanza with that little that little twist like I said, does anybody remember a movie, I might be getting the title wrong, called The Red Robe, like with Tony Curtis, 1950s? Because there's this weird intersection when you see Red Cape, Redemption's Red Cape, uh, immediately I go to Superman, but of course, Superman is a Christ figure, <laughs> the Red Cape, uh, and you know, a lot of the uh, iconography and, and mythology of Superman is a, a Christ image. But this movie, I think, focuses on the soldier who actually did the deed and got the nails driven into the the delicious right. nails driven into the earth's vein. And I wonder if it's kind of like a, a echo, a triple mythology echo factor going on. Yeah, that, I mean, that very well could be. Well, in the line, all animals who call themselves men. That's an interesting one. That's almost like a little bit derogatory, but like also, I mean, I don't know, trying trying to be an equalizer because everyone dies eventually. I mean... Giving up the ghost, obviously, is a very specific, like, religious phrase. You'll find the time to pound the earth's vein with another delicious nail. Delicious nail is a weird way to describe a nail, especially if you're talking about a crucifixion. Like, how could a nail be delicious? So. Well, if you want to get a little, a little uh, technical, as a, as a um, I would describe myself as an atheist Catholic. I have all of the guilt but none of the handy mechanisms that get rid of it. But I, <laughs> I got steeped in a lot of that mythology. And the <laughs> right. idea that it was the necessity, the necessity of Christ to sacrifice and to pay all of the credit card debt forward. And so the deliciousness is kind of like a, a hunger to create that need for a human sacrifice. So there's an interesting little echo going on there too. That is very interesting. Thanks for clarifying that. I. Am, do not have a religious background in the sense to like fully get some of the uh, multiple layers here. But when I was reading it for the first part of the poem, I felt like I was reading this really scathing indictment of someone else, that the narrator was talking to someone else. And then midway through the poem, like, oh, he's speaking to himself. And this is his indictment and his, you know, to borrow your language, shame for his relationship in 
the worst thing that he's done in the history of shadows and branches and whatever he's nailing down. And he's describing himself as the animal praying to the burial God and that forgiveness is not going to seed in his garden. And that he is still like going further down in the poem. Um, the way that I read the last two stanzas was that he will continue to do what he's doing that he is ashamed of or not or seeking forgiveness for. And he hopes that it is done to him as well. And that that's what the centurion me centurion is like this call of like, you know, I've fucking sinned to excuse my language. Sorry. If that's um, but he's sinned as well. And he wants to be, you know, nailed in the same way for it. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love that interpretation that you've done something awful that you feel guilty about. And then that guilt and that shame leads you to say, like, I wish someone would just like slaughter me basically so that I can, you know, get what I deserve or so that I can, you know, get my come up essentially. Unfortunately or fortunately, I think we're at the epicenter of what a lot of Catholicism has to say about the sadomasochistic relationship. Uh, between that kind of need for punishment or discipline. And if yeah. you want to put an erotic spin on it, it's maybe not a coincidence that they call it the passion of the Christ. Right. So yeah, I think there's definitely a play there. I think that's, sure. that's why we, that's why we do these because I would, I wouldn't have like gotten to that interpretation on my own for sure. Well, and there, there is a little bit of a, that place where erotic and violence are kind of like up. Oh Yeah neck in this um the sweat and the clover and and just the the language is so beautiful even though they're talking about these really um violent something that feels very violent I guess I'm just projecting I'm like well that that's clearly erotic well, no, I, I think you're I think you're exactly right I mean the li- the line kissing the ground with a hammer's lips that's clearly an intersection between right something that's passionate and something that's violent because if you're smashing a hammer on the ground there's you know yeah like that's i think you're spot on (laughs) nice yeah so another another good one thanks for selecting that so yeah daniel edward moore well done and let's check out uh nancy white's poem the hopeful poem This was my selection. Do I have time to read it? Yeah, sure. The helpful poem. Call me unfinished or give me an order. I'll help. Snap the heads of the peonies. Let the sun break the table. Of course, the cliffs are the wrong color, darling, and your unrepentant eyes. When we first met, kite tails flashed and ants scurried off with their eggs held aloft. And during our vows, The seething window pained us, but not on purpose. Sometimes we couldn't cross that space, the lovely shoulders of our lies. Are you still full of bones or snow? What kind of river are you? So when I read this, to me, I interpreted it as the narrator is the helpful poem who's in relationship with this poet and trying to kind of guide them along into being the poet that they're supposed to be and that they're declaring that they'll give help. They have a history together when they first met. Maybe there was a poem about kite tails and ants and things like that. Perhaps that was a childlike poem they were writing. And then moving forward through it, there were places where the poems couldn't, the poem couldn't even go in relationship with the poet, the lovely shoulders of our lives, which is one of my favorite lines. And then in the end, I felt like this helpful poem was giving off writing prompts. Are you still full of bones or snow? What kind of river are you? Like, let's get to writing. Let's, let's do it. So to me, that that's kind of how I was maneuvering in this. And I will admit that my first reading through, I did not understand that. And I was a little suspicious of the poem because I'm not one for exclamation marks in poetry. And I don't know why they just, also sometimes I feel that way about when we're asking questions in poems, I get a little uncomfortable with it, but I really felt like it worked here because again, it was that 
the the narrator being the poem was really trying to rally together um, this excitement for for writing the poem. And I also just wanted to point out that the line breaks were really lovely. Our vows, the seething window. I love that line just on its own is lovely. And then that space, the lovely shoulders. And that that, that then breaks into of our lives, are you still full? I was just like, this is great. <laughs> this is this is darker and more meaningful than I thought, even with the exclamation marks. So it was a joy to read. I thought that just on a superficial level, I thought the same thing. Because um, if 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 there's a, you know, ask me the odds of a poem with three exclamation points in it being accepted, it's like probably not very good <laughs> to be honest. You know, just on that level. But obviously, yeah. there's a, there's a lot more going on here. That's in the context of the poem. That's, it, but yeah, that's on its own. It's I guess it's a it's a sign of how strong uh, the rest of the poem is and the language and the 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 question of what is going on. I was interested to to hear uh, if you had a thought, Chris, because I read this one romantically, and usually you're the one who does that. So I didn't think it was a poet talking to another poet or something. I thought it was, I thought there was a, rela a romantic relationship happening or actually not happening, coming out of a relationship. Yeah, you, you called me out directly on my, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Uh, maybe I've, network. I've, Go got, I've gotten, I've gotten, <laughs> really too, I've gotten too used to your readings. Um, but yeah, just the line, uh, you can think it over, but the, um, the line you mentioned maybe even sometimes we shouldn't cross that space the lovely shoulders of our lives i think that's there it's kind of that's what i mean the relationship is kind of like the barriers of a relationship and then saying okay well this isn't going to work well i didn't uh, well first of all i absolutely uh read it the way you thought i would <laughs> so I, I did the romantic reading first I was getting some marriage imagery. Maybe the boundary was before we get married, after we get married. And I was, again, poem physics. I was picturing we were trying to have a nice wedding, but there was this awkward window that was shining light in a way that was going to kind of disrupt the order of the wedding. So you're right that I, my first run through was absolutely along those lines. Uh, second line through, though, I've been on a roomy kick, and roomy's obsessed with windows and doors and door sills and kind of the bridge between two worlds. So that made the uh, mother and daughter cleaning the same window across from each other particularly potent. That kind of leapt out at me just because my radar is scanning for that kind of thing. So when I got to the seething window, pained us. I was like, oh, we should be included about window panes. If not, uh, as a song lyric, it would work, uh, but not on purpose. And then the exclamation part exclamation point I think is worthwhile there. Sometimes we couldn't cross that space, the lovely shoulders of our lives. Uh, so if I'm bringing my roomy side, you can actually reconcile. It could actually be romantic, but also spiritual at the same time. He was a, a Sufi mystic monk who would embrace the idea that um, there are many ways to kneel and kiss the ground through religious experiences. And one of those might be going out and having a, a late night date um, and a little picnic in the moonlight with some wine and a beautiful girl and some sex, or it might be actually physically kneeling and kissing the ground, and that's the actual religious experience, or it might be just letting guests into your house, let, let other people into that door, into that world, and that could be a perfectly valid religious experience. So since I was steeped with that, that's kind of how I was reconciling that I, I don't think that was the intention of the poem to be a romantic uh, setup, but it has that spiritual theme that I thought so many of the poems we talked about today has. I mean, it says darling. It's sort of it's sort of funny. I think maybe all four of us have a slightly different interpretation. So when I read this one, I was for me, this was the poem given some personification. So you're the writer and you're writing and the actual one that's on a piece of paper is like, OK, what do we need? OK, keep coming. I like it. it says, call me unfinished or give me an order. Tell me to do something. It reminded me of, of one of my favorite quotes, which is a uh, no poem is ever truly finished, only abandoned. 
And that's, that to me is this poem that's been sitting on the shelf. It's been sitting in your notebook forever. And this is the poem actually becoming personified, like, like becoming a person being like, okay, no, what is that great part? Of course the cliffs are the wrong color. Like when we first met, like all of this imagery. Um, and then that's also interesting because there's a very intimate, that, that line, the lovely shoulders of our lives. That's like between the writer and the poem. It's like, we, we know, we know when you're lying. We know when you're being pretentious and we know when you're trying to do a crafty thing when you're just being a poet, right? But, you know, maybe not cross that. And then it's like, okay, are you still full of bones? Like, are you still a writer? Like, are you still awake? Are you still a person? Like, like write me, let's get this done. <laughs> and that's sort of how I was interpreting as well. All of the, um, the urgency behind all of the exclamation points was the poem that was like, okay, snap the heads off the peonies, let the sun break on the table. Like give the poem something to do, give the poem some action. So that was my interpretation of this, was the poem itself trying to be helpful to you as the writer. <laughs> I have to so say, that was, I failed in my description of how I interpreted the poem. I mean, the exact same thing that you're saying. Is it the poem? Oh, I, know, I totally agree with you. Like we are seeing it the same way. The poem has an essence and the poem is speaking. It's almost like an epistolary poem from the poem to the poet. Right. It's like a helpful, because I thought you meant that these were like two poets talking together. Like this is a poet talking to another poet. Gotcha. I misunderstood you. Gotcha. No, that's, your description of it was so great. So I'm so glad you, you thought of it the same way. Yeah. Well, and that also, it sort of makes sense how, I mean, as a writer and as a poet, it makes sense that all of the ideas are sort of chaotic and all over the place. That when you're trying to finish a poem, you don't know what's going to be the best image. You do, you're trying a million different things. Half of them aren't going to work. Or you're, you know, sort of um, scatterbrained and you have an idea over here, an idea over here. One is about kites. One is about eggs. One is about ants. One is about cliffs. And, and the poem's like, okay, just focus, focus. Let's pull it in. <laughs> let's get me written, you know. And I think that that's, yeah, just fascinating. And I mean, that goes the great title, the helpful poem. That's a great title. Like so well that. done, Nancy. It's obvious now that that's the correct interpretation. Right. <laughs> and I was also noticing my inner, like, I can tell when I'm depressed because my inner critic uh, will look at my own writing and say, God, it, it's terrible, and I'm terrible, and everything else is terrible. And I'll go through and be very cynical the way I read other poems. This is sort of an antidote to that. Like, no, well, don't be cynical. It's, it's all right. Chop the heads off the peonies. Let the sun break on the table. That's fine. Of course, the cliffs were the wrong color it's not your fault and as somebody who's got like two-thirds of a novel rotting in the corner it's like oh i actually this is in fact a helpful poem and if you right. personify that energy and say the reason they call you darling is because they're being sweet to you the kind of creative process is personified in this elder sibling oh, that's that's lovely <laughs> and we when we look at it through this lens and read the line and your unrepentant eyes I mean, the poem is kind of teasing them at the same time. I, I almost wonder if that's, yeah, the unrepentant eyes and the darling, is that a reference to kill your darlings? Mm. Could that could that be what that is? It's like, obviously it's wrong and you knew that <laughs> and you don't want to get rid of it because you like it. <laughs> yeah, that, that is interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, once we, well, yeah, once we get to that that place of like what the poem is doing to the, yeah, we can we can kind of have fun with it. Yeah, the last line, and I mean the river that could you know just even just on like the the symbolic terms, it's the kind of a journey. I kind of took it as like kind of a stand-in for like journey. So the journey could be the creative process on that level. It could be the life, you know, the person's life on that on that level too. So I think most most people would kind of describe the creative processes like as indirect or you know uh, sometimes haphazard sometimes accidental uh unpredictable so that's, that's the kind of the the connotation that last question had to me can't question it too much you just kind of have to say well i'm going to try this and see where it goes yeah well and the nice thing about what kind of river are you that's such a kinder question than what kind of writer are you? What kind of poet are you? What kind of person are you? That's a much kinder question, I feel like, because rivers are always moving. They're always changing. They're always in motion. A river is not going to be the same. I feel like I'm Pocahontas. River is not going to be the same. You know, you can't touch the same river twice, whatever it is. 
whatever that quote is. <laughs> but it's almost like, okay, you're in motion. Your your brain is always moving, right? Like rivers always do. What kind of what kind of motion do we have here? What are we going to do with this? So yeah, I like that. I wanted to take these last few lines and just use them as prompts for myself. You know, I was like, what kind what kind of river am I? <laughs> I'm not really yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Are you still full of bones? What does that mean? Yes, I think so. <laughs> Just like the other, some of the other poems, yeah, we kind of get get some get some ideas in there that you know you just you wouldn't get to just on your own. So those those group readings are always uh, always fun to do. The helpful poem, Nancy White, again, another good one. I think we'll wrap this segment up, the section up. If you can uh, stick around a minute, we'll uh, kind of debrief. But for now, uh, thanks, Haley. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Excellent sele selections. And yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. So we'll talk to you later. Love it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.